All right, we're in John chapter 21 today. It's the last chapter in the book of John. We're coming to a close of our study in the book of John. In fact, last week, Pastor Rob was in chapter 20, and the last two verses of chapter 20 are like the grand finale, the amen, 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 amen. And then John goes, oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's done this huge thing. The question he's answering, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And here's what he says at the end of chapter 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. Believe, and you'll have life in his name. And then John goes, oh, yeah, one more thing. Just like if you've written a love letter and you've said, you know, love, tie at the end of the letter, and then you go, oh, psst. P.S. And you put a P.S. And John adds this P.S. In fact, of all the ancient manuscripts there are of the book of John, chapter 21 is part of every one of them. So it wasn't like somebody else added it way later. This, this, uh, this was uh, John telling, oh yeah, there's one more thing I wanted to tell. And he tells this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. And he already has two of them in chapter 20, but this is the third one that he tells. So in case you were wondering, inquisitive minds like to know, how many appearances of Jesus were there after his resurrection? And the answer is recorded in the Bible, there were 14. And so in the notes there, there's a little box with all 14 in it so that you could look those up if you were curious. The people who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead loved him and knew him and knew that he conquered death. And so John tells us two stories in chapter 20, and then he adds this one. Look at verse 1 of John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two of the other disciples were together. I don't know why he didn't name the other two. He's probably talking about Andrew, Peter's brother, and Philip, who was one of their high school classmates there in Bethsaida. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you. And they went out and they got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, the Sea of Tiberias is a popular tourist attraction, but it's also near the hometown of a lot of these disciples. And uh, Peter is down in Jerusalem, and he goes, I'm going fishing, which meant a 50 to 60-mile walk to get to the lake. And we aren't told why. I mean, was he tired of the pressure uh, in the city of Jerusalem and the whole place being a buzz that Jesus was back from the dead and the pressure from the Jewish leaders trying to squash that story? Was he trying to obey the command that Jesus had given to the women when he showed up to them to say, tell the disciples, I'll meet them in Galilee. And uh, so he's headed to Galilee for that. Maybe his wife texted or called him and said, honey, you haven't worked a real job in three years. Kids need new shoes. We're running out of money. Time to get back to, to work. And uh, maybe just the dream had died. Maybe he's just gotten so discouraged by Jesus' death and his own total failure as a friend and as a disciple. And he knows Jesus is a king, but the kingdom certainly didn't arrive the way that Peter had thought it would when they traveled down to Jerusalem. So I, maybe this is a backward step in Peter's life. Now, what do you do when the dream dies? If you've had a dream and it dies, you can ask why, 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 but that's a bottomless pit that will only lead to bitterness and despair, and you'll never find the bottom of that. A better question is, what am I going to do with what I have left? 
What am I going to do with what I have left? And to grieve the loss. And we have a grief uh, share for people who have suffered a significant loss. Meets on Thursday afternoons here. And you might need to choose to forget the why. It won't help you. And to extend forgiveness so that you don't have to carry that and to begin to count your blessings again and take your problems to Jesus and then to dream again, to get on with God's plan. We don't know exactly what was in Peter's heart. John didn't seem to think that was important to tell us Peter's motives. But Peter goes, I'm going fishing. And six of the others said, we're going too. They fish all night. They catch nothing until Jesus redirected the purpose for their lives. Look at verse 4. Just as day is breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, hey, children, you got any fish? He's about 100 yards away. And they answered him, no. And he says to them, well, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they're not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far off from the land, about a hundred yards out. Now, if you know about the life and ministry of Jesus and you've read it in all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you know that you would have flashed if you were one of these disciples to the story right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he'd come walking along the lake, virtually unknown to anybody. He sees Peter and Andrew, James and John, and they're mending their nets after a horrible night of fishing. And he says to them, can I borrow your boat? And he borrows Peter and Peter sits in the boat and rows Jesus out a little from the shore and a huge crowd gathered and Jesus taught the people from the boat. And then he said to Peter, loud enough presumably for everybody to hear, because you know how voices can skip off the water. He says to Peter, row out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Well, in that culture, one of the rudest things you can do is say no. And everybody knows, at least everybody from around the seashore knows, you fish at night. And so here comes this preacher who's from up in the hills. What does he know about fishing? And he asks this request. And Peter is caught on the horns of the dilemma because if he says, no, Jesus, we're not going fishing. You do that at night. Everybody's headed to market. Oh, he is so rude. All the preacher wanted was a little trip out onto the lake to do a little fishing. And Peter says, no. If Peter says, yes, everybody's going to market. <laughs> Guess what's happening right now as we speak? Peter has Jesus out there fishing on the lake. Isn't that funny? Nobody knows you'll catch anything in the daytime. And so there's no wind. And you you can tell in Peter's voice in Luke 5, it says, man, he goes, Master, we toiled all night, we caught nothing. Like, please change your mind, say something else. But at your word, I will go out and let down the nets. Well, you know what happened. They go out, they load up the nets so full, they begin to break. They yell to their partners, James and John, come help, come help. And they bring the second boat. They fill both boats so full, they're going to sink. And then it says, Peter fell at Jesus' knees because Jesus is buried up to his knees in fish. And he says to him, get out of my boat, because he's scared. He says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He doesn't know Jesus couldn't swim. There's not one recorded event of Jesus ever swimming, okay? <laughs> and Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch people alive. You've been taking fish out of the lake, and they die when they get in your boat. Now I want you to walk with me and take people who are dead in their sin and bring them alive by the power of God. 
and says when they pulled their boats on shore, they left everything and they followed Jesus. That was three years before this event. Now Peter's going, I'm going fishing. They go back fishing and from the shore, somebody says, hey, got any fish? They go, no, we'll cast on the other side. And they do it and the boat's filled over again. And John is the first to figure it out. It's the Lord. How does Jesus do it? I mean, he's amazing. He can forgive sin. He can walk on water. He can do miracles even from a distance. He's the king of kings. And they go to Jerusalem with him and he dies. And then he comes back alive and they're still, their heads are spinning. They're still trying to figure it out. And they just decide, oh, we're going fishing. And now their nets are overloaded. They're bubbling with fish. And in this little story, Jesus gives them four commands that redirect their focus and their purpose and get them back on track. Let's look at what Jesus said to them because he might be saying it to us. He says, cast your net on the other side. Peter basically and the rest of the disciples go from an erosion of purpose to an explosion of purpose. They go from catching nothing to, oh, it's the Lord. They look at their past and their miserable failures and things don't work and things need mending and they just are ineffective and they've fished all night and they've caught nothing. But when Jesus speaks to them, it's like deja vu all over again. They're back with Jesus. They remember. They explode with purpose. They have so many fish, they can't get them all in the boat. And suddenly, none of that matters anymore. Peter goes, I got to be with Jesus. And he jumps in the water and he swims ashore and he has a private moment with Jesus that nobody chose to record. We don't know what went on between the two of them. But basically, Jesus is helping Peter to get back on purpose and uh, back focused on what he needs to be about. God's got a purpose for your life, too. Are you, are you on track? It's not your daily routine. It's not the grind. It's not even the trials you're going through. He's trying to show Peter and you and me that failure doesn't mean you can't fulfill your purpose. Discouragement doesn't mean you can't fulfill your purpose. God's Word tells us we have a constant purpose. We have something to do for God in this life. Sometimes God uses discouragement to sharpen us and to focus us because God's will for your life and mine is not a sprint. It's a marathon. There are ups and downs, and we get tired. We get a little discouraged. There's nothing wrong with you in that process. If you're in that spot today, then this is good news. Success, you know, the re the how do you reach success isn't just to try harder. We end up saying we're going to try harder, and then finally we just give up. You know, a third option is just follow Jesus. From the shore, Jesus yells, throw your nets on the right side, and they do it, and Jesus knows where the fish are. You're never far from success when you put Jesus at the center and just listen to his voice and to follow him. The difference between success and failure for the disciples was about this far. That's about how wide their boat was. Cast your net on the other side, Jesus said. And suddenly there's so many fish, they can't even drag it into the boat. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out and bread. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Somebody counted. Somebody said, hey, how many fish are there? Let's hope it wasn't the preacher. But they must have had an accountant. Somebody thought that would be important to know. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared say, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. And they would have had to remember in their mind when Jesus, just the time before this, had taken bread and broken it, just like we did this morning and said, this is my body broken for you. 
And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. John is only counting the ones that he wrote down. If you put all of them together, you'll find out this is the seventh time that Jesus has showed up to somebody to reveal himself. And then Jesus says, besides cast the net on the other side, he says, come have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Jesus is saying, I want a relationship with you. I want it to be real and personal. I want it to be meaningful. I want you to recognize my presence everywhere. I mean, you can find the Lord here in church, but it's not the only place. You can find him in the mountains. You can find him in your home. You can find him in your car. You can find him in the midst of turmoil. Jesus is there. He will meet us there. His relationship doesn't just fit into one little box in your life. He wants to be part of everything, and he wants us to enjoy his company. Jesus, I think, found the disciples at the wrong place at the wrong time, but he really just wanted to hang out with his best friends. He's got something to say to them. He wants them to relax in his presence and enjoy a good breakfast and have a good conversation and to accept Jesus' invitation to worship him and to pray to him and to serve him. Do you know, I don't know about you, I get lots of invitations in the mail. Truth is, some of them I don't even open. Well, not yours, I can tell that. But, you know, there's some that you just go, I don't need to even open this to know what's inside. And there's some that, though, that you open and you just won't miss. Jesus says, bring some of the fish and have breakfast. And he's giving an invitation. Do you hear an invitation to Jesus? Does your heart ever say, I wish I could worship more than just on Sunday morning? God, Jesus is inviting you. Just worship me in the, in the quiet of the moment. Times where you say, I've just got to pray. And you find yourself maybe awake in the middle of the night just praying to him. He's saying, I want to be with you. Times where you want to serve. That's an invitation by Jesus. Accept it. I mean, Jesus is the leader. It says he took the bread and he gave it to them and also the fish. And then he had something important to say. And he's basically saying, I want to have a real relationship with you, not just going through the motions, not just one of your multitasks. Refresh your relationship with Jesus today. And so Jesus went on and he talked specifically to Peter. Look at verse 15. When he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. And he, Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these John is intentionally unclear. Are the, these the boats? Are they the fish? Is it the disciples? Who are we talking about? Do you love me more than these? Jesus is saying, make loving Jesus your first priority. If you're going to really minister to other people, if you're going to bless them in the name of Jesus, then start by being in love with Jesus. Take to heart Jesus' forgiveness for all your sins, even the worst ones. If he could forgive Peter for denying him on the day Jesus needed him the most, he can, deny, he can forgive you and draw you to himself. Peter had failed miserably, and Jesus still loved him. And Jesus overcame his sin with forgiveness by his own power. And he wanted Jesus, Peter not just to take him into his head, but into his heart to really know. And so Jesus said to Peter and to you and to me, I forgive you. I love you. You are forgiven. Tend my sheep. 
you're mine. And Jesus is saying, take that forgiveness to heart. That believe that Jesus loves you and he wants to use you in a great way. Jesus said, Peter, feed my sheep. You know, shepherds are, make a great difference in the lives of the sheep. Without the shepherd, the sheep would die. It keep them alive. And God put you on this earth to make a difference in somebody's life and to be a blessing. Now, when Jesus said, do you love me? And the scholars have had quite a field day with this, and what's probably maybe it's what makes this passage famous. But when Jesus said, do you love me? He said, agape love, which is the highest form of love. And he said, do you love me? And Peter came back and said, yes, Lord, you know I phileo love you. I friendship love you. And the second time Jesus said, do you love me, agape love? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know phileo, I love you. And the third time Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo love me? And Peter was disturbed, and he said, yes, Lord, you know I phileo love you at the same level. And what Jesus was saying, I, I, I don't want to make too much of it, but I don't want to miss the point that Peter is being honest, and he's pretty discouraged. He's been pretty down on himself. And Jesus saying, okay, Peter, I'll come to your level. Let's grow from there together. And then he gives one last command. He said, you follow me. And you follow me. And he's, there's really two great questions that can turn followers into failures. And the first one is, why me? Why me? Why did God let this happen to me? And, and we get, go from why me to poor me, and we move into our own little pity party, and pity can suck the energy right out of us. It'll steal our joy and the trust and the hope that we have. So Jesus shares coming difficulties in Peter's life. Now, history says Peter ended up being arrested and crucified upside down. He did not feel he was worthy to be crucified like Jesus was, so they said, fine, we'll turn the cross over, and they crucified him upside down. And so Jesus doesn't give him all the details, but right here in front of all the other disciples, Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this saying, he said to him, you follow me. Now, Peter, Jesus is answering the why question for Peter before Peter even knows to ask it. Why is this happening to me? And Jesus is saying, here is what's going to happen in your life because of your love for me. And Jesus let Peter know that sometimes the people who are most used by God, the ones who are most blessed by God, are going to deal with some great hardships in their life. You might be right in the middle of that right now. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or that he's not using you. So you know what Peter said? Jesus said, Peter, you follow me. Life can get difficult. In fact, it is going to. Follow me. Guess what Peter said? Well, what about him? <laughs> Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, if you read the Bible and read the parts about Peter, Peter always seemed to get into trouble when he took his eyes off Jesus. When he got focused on other things, one time, I mean, Jesus is coming walking on the water. It's the middle of the night. They think it's a ghost. They're scared. So Peter, to be brave, said, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come walking to you. Jesus said, come on. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks on the water as he's watching Jesus. Soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus, he sees the wind and the waves. He sinks. 
Another time, Jesus is saying, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and die. Peter's plan is Jesus is going to be named king, and he's going to become the conqueror. And Peter says, nah, not you, Lord. Never, never like that. And Jesus turned around and, and, and chastises his self-ambition and says, get behind me, Satan. You do not understand the things of God, but only of man. Another time where he took his eyes off of Jesus and put him on his own fears, and he looked around the, the courtyard, and the servant girl says, are you one of his followers? And he betrays Jesus, swears up and down that he doesn't know Jesus. And then here he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he gets him onto another disciple, and he hesitates to commit. Do you know one of our great temptations as individuals, as a church, is to get our eyes off Jesus to get it on to other things or other people or other situations or other agendas or other priorities. And, and Peter does that here. Well, what about him, Lord? And we end up doing the same. Well, what about this or what about that? Just stay focused on Jesus. Just follow Jesus. And I think John included this because as he got older, as he heard about Peter's death on the cross, maybe the story was being told and retold that John was going to live forever. But he didn't. And we won't. And Jesus is saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. Just follow Jesus. Look at the next verse. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. But Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? This is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know his testimony is true. John's saying, that's me and I'm telling you the truth. And then he gives a little encore conclusion. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There has to be more to this Christian life than just the humdrum of daily routine. And this chapter is a reminder that even if we wander away and we lose our focus and we get off track and we don't follow the purpose that God has for us, that Jesus is God and he loves you and he's watching you and he's following you and he's going to call you back to himself. He knows all about you even when things aren't going your way and he wants a real relationship with you. So be actively engaged. Don't just go through the motions. Refresh your relationship with Jesus. And get excited about what he's got in our future because we're going to follow him. Jesus says, you love me, then feed my sheep. And you, you follow me. Shall we pray? Dear God, that's what we want to be about. We want to follow you in all things. Thank you that we can sing praises to you, that we can be in this beautiful place, that we can hear your word, that we can receive your uh, broken body and your blood on our behalf. But more than that, I pray that we will give you our whole hearts, that we will refresh the faith that you have placed inside of each of us, that we will look to the future and say, Lord, whatever you have for us, the answer is yes, that we will anticipate that you're going to use us to do great things as we represent you in this world. And we thank you for the privilege. I pray that we will not squander our opportunity to demonstrate our love for you, that we, like Peter, will return to you, listen to your voice, and follow you with our lives. And we thank you for the challenges that we've had in the book of John and that uh, as you are lifted up, you will draw all men, women, boys, and girls to yourself. And we want to be part of helping bring people to Jesus. And we love you. Amen.